Welcome back to the Hive Poetry Collective this evening. This is KSQD in Santa Cruz on 89.5, 89.7, and 90.7 FM, and online at ksqd.org. I'm Farnaz Fatimi, and I'm your host for this evening's episode of The Hive, and I am really excited to have as a guest via Zoom from Pennsylvania, Robin Gao talking about the their most recent poetry book, Lanternfly August, which is just out as we're talking. It's just been out a couple of weeks from Driftwood Press. And again, this is their most recent poetry book, a book that I read as about identity, belonging, place, and home, uh, all themes dear to my heart. Um, let me just tell you a little bit about Robin, and then we're going to hear a poem from the book and get started. Uh, Robin Gao is a trans poet and YA middle grade author from rural Pennsylvania. They are the author of several poetry collections, including Our Lady of Perpetual Degeneracy. Love that title. Gao also writes queer YA middle grade novels, such as Ode to My First Car, which is coming out a, a million Quiet Revolutions, and Dear Mothman. He manages community programs at Bradbury Sullivan LGBT Community Center, building celebratory spaces for the local LGBTQ plus folks. As an autistic person, Robin feels passionate about celebrating neurodivergent folks in the queer community. They live in Allentown, Pennsylvania with their partner, best friend, and pugs, Gertrude and Eddie. I'm so glad to have you on the show, Robin. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. And thank you so much. Yes. So I like listeners to get a sense of the poet to start. And I thought we could just jump in to hear one of the poems in the middle of the book. And that is a single dead lanternfly found in Kansas. Yeah, I'm happy to read it. A single dead lanternfly found in Kansas. We were the process of our own identification. Once I was laid down on wax paper and dotted lines were knit into my skin to indicate where and how I should be made into a gender. It is in the state's best interest to give us names and numbers. I used to live at a house with one half in the address. I loved that severing, pictured my life in perfect divisions. None of my packages arrived, curtailing my own existence. Who doesn't want to be both discovered and elusive? The lanternfly is our particular harbinger. It starts with a state fair or a stone fruit, a boy holding a carcass like a matchbox car, telling everyone who will listen, look here is an invasion. If I could, I would be a traitor like them, hungry and alive. Instead, so often I find myself the boy without meaning to, without a driver, there I am, holding my dead self and saying, I know exactly what this is. Thank you. Uh, 
That's um, there's so much in that poem we could talk about, uh, especially there's a the contradiction in the middle who doesn't want to both to be discovered and elusive. And there's a lot of contradictions in this book, and we'll get to talk about some of them a little bit later, or at least the idea of contradictions in poetry. But um, I, I, I love that. Um, there's so much that this poem actually sets out. Um, it's like I said, it's in the middle of the book, but it gives us a lot of directions for many of the themes in the book. But let's go back to talking about you a little bit to start. Um, I I we I like to ask this of, of guests and whether you can remember your first encounter with poetry, um, what that meant to you and and then also perhaps you could talk about what how you became a poet. That's a great question. I'm trying to think of like my true first encounter with poetry is probably Edgar Allan Poe. Um, I've always been like a little bit of a, a goth kid, like even even when I was like maybe four or five. <laughs> mm. And I would like have my parents read me The Raven. And I think that there is just something very like, his poetry is incredibly like rhythmic and also mm -hmm. like macabre and dark. And I, I think that I appreciated all of that. Um, and I was obsessed with like looking up the words too, because, you know, there are so many words in the Raven that are above like a fourth grade or like a young person's reading level. Right. Um, but I loved it. And I, I remember that being something I really enjoyed. Um, and I think I've always gravitated towards poetry. I enjoy some of the like simultaneous like playfulness that it permits. And then also like moments of great like emotional gravity. I think like as a young person who really struggled to read um, like I was in special ed classes for most of my life. Mm -hmm. um, poetry's like compactness also was like a little bit more accessible to me. And so I always felt kind of drawn to it. Mm -hmm. um, what's interesting though is like when I went to college originally is I was like really set on being a novelist. I was like, I'm going to be the next like great American novelist. <laughs> um, and we had like a, a intro to creative writing and everyone had to pick a specialty. So like you would write fiction, nonfiction or poetry. And my professor was like, I really want you to do poetry, even though you keep telling me you want to do fiction. I just like want oh. you to try it. Um, and I was like mad at him and I did it and it felt very like natural to me. And I still, you know, write short stories and stuff like that. But I, I think that that moment and like that person's encouragement, like kind of helped, helped open me up to myself being a little bit more of like a poet of center, if that makes any sense. Cause I write in all genres, but I think that poetry is definitely like my home. Yeah, that's, I, I, I partly asked that because you do write in multiple genres and clearly are, are successful in them. Um, and I wonder what it is about poetry that, that makes you center it, I guess, what is it allowed yeah. to do? Um, and what is it, what is it that you find as a writer? It, it, it provides you as that center. Yeah, well, I find it to be like a very welcoming space for people who have like a complicated relationship with language. And for me, like I'm dyslexic. Mm. And like I said, I have a hard time reading. And so like in prose, I think sometimes mixing up words or like inversions and things would be like at, at a detriment. It might make the, the piece like harder to understand. But in poetry, I could pause and see those inversions or like things that I mixed up and be like what does that mean and like that 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 like confusion could be generative instead of it being like something that would be punished mm -hmm. and I think that it's like permitted me to give myself more space as someone 
with that complicated relationship to language. And um, yeah, I just find it very forgiving because it's, it like lets you ask questions of your own writing in a way that I don't feel like prose does. Like nothing against prose is just, it, I don't feel like it's as forgiving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, I think what you're saying too is the permission it's, it's both, um, it's forgiving. It encourages that more complication or more just like not knowing or not yes, exactly. have the answer. Um, yeah. that's, that's great. Um, well, let's hear a, another poem from the book. Um, and I'm going to ask you to read Lanternfly's Dream of Being Butterflies, which, um, well, let, we'll hear it and then we can talk about Lanternflies. <laughs> So lanternflies dream of being butterflies. To be captured, not like contagion, but feather or cottonwood, beloved and specimen, children in their schoolyards, releasing us and recounting our life cycles like prayers, egg, caterpillar, chrysalis, and butterfly. To sleep through change instead of morphing, each day a step closer to drinking the souls of trees. All I want is the ease of being the right kind of beautiful to amble as a body should, unfettered and ungendered, ready for another migration, always following the warm chest of the sun. How does it feel to be worshipped? Adoration, another kind of exoskeleton, eating sugar from a daffodil's eager face, yellow sweetness, satisfaction spun through every limb, wind making posted champs of my wings. Oh, how I would find mirrors to marvel at my at my own patterns. How I would pulse my new wet wings like watercolors. Thank you. So the entire book is about lanternflies, <laughs> among other things. <laughs> yes. Um, and I guess uh, I'm curious about your own, again, first encounter with lanternflies. And then when did you know that you'd write a book of poems about them? And and this how is did an that... interesting story? Yeah, sorry. And how <laughs> so did that unfold? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I first encountered lanternflies when I moved back to my parents' house um, from New York. So I left New York City uh, in the midst of the pandemic, essentially because like everyone at all of my workplaces got laid off, um, and so I was kind of like, I just have to figure out what to do and so I moved it back in with my parents for a few weeks before I got an apartment and there was like lantern really felt like very strange too because it was something that like wasn't there from like when I was little so it was like a jarring thing about a space where it's not a lot changes in like a small rural town mm -hmm. um and I was fascinated by them um and then it didn't happen until like about a year later I had started a new job and I was like walking with coworkers, like in the city of Allentown. And there's also a heck of a lot of lantern flies in Allentown. Just like, I think it's because they lay eggs on like metal buildings. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's just, there's everywhere on the streets, in the air. <laughs> and uh, my like friends were like stepping on them. And I remember feeling very sad because like, I'm a, I'm a vegetarian. I mean, I'm a vegan. I'm like very like against hurting animals. Um, and like, I understand they're invasive. So like, I, I understand like the impetus behind smashing them. But I just remember being like, I feel so bad for them. They're so beautiful because mm. they are. They're very colorful. Um, my friend was like, you should write a poem about them. Um, mm. Little did they know that I was going to write a whole book. I just like <laughs> the more I learned, about them, the more I was like, oh, I still have questions. And like, like I usually write a poem like when I have a question um, yeah. as like a space to like explore that question further. And I think I just 
kept finding myself having questions about lantern flies and myself and and what it kind of like why I felt that kind of like like protectiveness or like I don't want people to smash them you know that kind of impulse Yes, and there's other, um, there are other, there are poems in the book that you might hear that um, sympathize with the lanternfly. Um, in this one, there's a lament about the lanternfly wanting to be yet, the lantern, lanternfly wanting to be other, um, wanting to be a butterfly. But the it does sound like the lanternflies themselves are pretty beautiful. Um, Yeah, I don't, they're gorgeous. I've never seen one. So if you could describe for us, um, what they look like that might be Yeah, helpful totally. They're very, they're, they're like a cross between like a moth and a fly. Um, so they have very colorful, like red um, and white and black spotted wings. Um, they do actually look very similar to a moth or a butterfly. Um, but when their wings are folded, they're a little bit more compact. Um, and they go through different like ev like uh, evolution phases, um, more growth phases. And in some of the phases, they don't have the beautiful colors. They're just like black with white spots. Um, and, and there's, I think maybe this next poem, but maybe, uh, yeah, well, we're going to talk about the instar. So let's hear an instar poem. Um, you alluded to these stages, um, and the, the next one, the one I want to hear is second instar. There's a few in here and we can talk about those. Second instar. There is a story, our white spots are gifted by future snow, that for every frost that will fall, there is a corresponding puncture across our bodies. Everything becomes so inevitable, even the sun, a lead balloon. When I inspected my body, all I found were alarming futures, an oil spill, a vineyard aching in autumn, lovers driving separate ways after meeting at a diner off the highway, A sister of mine leaves to follow an Oldsmobile skeleton. A brother climbs an oak, telling me he will come back once he is a planet, has a planet all his own. Below, I stay and wait for the tragedies of my body, knowing what will come and what I will bring. The snow is falling, and I am already a skeleton. It is only July. Tell me, should my body exist? If so, then for what or who? If so, then who is waiting for me? I want to collect white spots and deliver them like gumdrops or music boxes. Instead, I count them before I rest. One, two, three, four, five, six. Thank you for reading that. Um, again, uh, a, a reminder to our listeners, we're listening to Robin Gao reading from Lanternfly August, and this is KSQD in Santa Cruz on 89.5, 89.7, and 90.7 FM, and online at ksqd.org. And that was second instar. Um, and I, there's so many things I want to ask about this, but I, you know, I noticed the way that the, the body predicts the future of this, um, this lantern fly. Um, and again, the reference to multiple stages, the second instar here in the title. Um, I am such a, um, a sucker for inst the instar state. Um, I, I love the, the monarch, you know, the, the chrysalis, um, to monarch, um, state and the, the what the instar is a metaphor for but I, I i i'm kind of a nerd that way so i wonder if you could um talk about the instar you also said that you had 
questions. It kept leading to questions. So I wonder if you did a lot of research about these as you wrote and what you discovered about the instar stages um, and how what you want to share about that with our listeners for the context in this book. Yeah, totally. So there's a few different, I believe that there's four instar stages of the lanternfly. And I think what I was so interested about each of these stages is that they do look like radically different. Like, I mean, you can still kind of tell that there is a semblance to a lanternfly, but like by the end, we have a creature with wings that are red and white spotted and, and it's kind of beautiful. And in these instars, they often look a little bit more beetle-like almost, or like almost like wormish in those like early stages. Um, and I'm really fascinated by that like deep transformation of insects. Um, and I think that the connection that I drew, like, I, I'm not sure if it always comes through in poetry, but like, I, I feel a kinship with like creatures that go through like really radical transformations, both like as a trans person and as a queer person. And also as someone who just like has changed a lot in my life, like, I don't think it necessarily always has to be related to those identities, but like, mm -hmm. I, I've watched myself like radically change and also in relationship to like the place where I grew up. Um, and I think that that's where I found this connection is like this question of like, what does it mean to exist in like a rural space as a queer person? Um, it's like a question of safety and a question of where you find yourself at home. And then also like, just like where you grew, like I can't change where I grew up. So it's also like that. I'm not saying that I'm exactly like a lanternfly, but there's a lot of ways I feel a the connection there because I feel like I don't belong in a space um but at the same time like I'm there and I've grown up and you have to go through those instars so to say in that yeah. space and so there's that constant relationship with there mm -hmm. yeah and you hear that I think in the snow is falling and I am already a skeleton it is only July tell me should my body exist if so then for who or what if so, then who is waiting for me? And so that's the, sort of the self looking at the self and in, yeah. in relation to the place and, and what's going to happen. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I really love this poem, but I, I, I love the, the sort of way it works as what you were talking about, the metaphor of the, of change. Um, and, and I appreciate too, that it's about um, all kinds of change that, we might do even if the, the background doesn't change and um and we'll talk a little yeah. more about place there's also so this is also a persona poem and um there are a few persona poems in this book um and personally as a poet I find it incredibly difficult to write a good persona poem um you you are writing really good ones um at, what is it about them which helps you invites you in which which helps yeah. you so well. What what do you what is it you're responding to? I think for me, a persona works best when I when someone else can say something that I want to say better than I can. Like I I think that I mostly use persona to get to a place of like honesty that I can't. I I don't feel like I have the words to say about myself. Um, it's almost like a mask in that way, or like a theatrical persona. Um, there's definitely been times in my life where I've written a persona that was like more just like 
exploring a perspective outside of my own, more like flexing a like fiction character muscle. But I feel like for these, the personas are more like ways I find that I can be honest through the lanternfly that I can't be entirely honest, like as a human Robin. <laughs> <laughs> that's that makes a lot of sense. And that's interesting about the fiction, too, because I was I was aware, you know, that you were that you write fiction and that you write characters and how that might also help you keep in practice for persona poems. Yeah, but, definitely. But it's a, it's a really, that's an interesting distinction between the, you know, it's one, you wanting to say something that you can't necessarily as yourself. Um, and I guess what, what are there things that the, that the lantern fly taught you about its relationship to its identity that, that you learned from writing this book? I think that it's it sounds like a very simple answer, but I think that it it calls to like a lack of conclusions. I think I looked towards the lantern fly as like finding an answer for like what it means to like love existing in a rural space as a queer person where I don't necessarily feel safe and like my relationship with my family is still complicated by being trans and I, I think I like sought closure. I was like, this will be my thing. <laughs> and I think that I found less closure, mm. but in a way that feels like sometimes there's like a level of like acceptance of like the existence of a creature like the lanternfly. Um, and my thought with that is also related to like what a lanternfly is. Cause like, you know, they are an invasive species, which isn't like great for our like native ecosystems where we live. So like, there's like an environmental side to like, yes, it, we do need to curb the populations of lanternflies. Um, and I think that we can also recognize that like life is beautiful and that like, I think that there is like that contradiction, right? That um, my like politics clash in a way, like I, I believe in preserving native environments. And then I also like find it very sad that like a creature could you know go through all of its life cycles like I really believe that all animals and like all living creatures like might experience different levels of consciousness but I, I believe that they are like beings that shouldn't just be like you know tossed off mm -hmm. and so I think all of those contradictions kind of swelled to a point of kind of like accepting those contradictions and navigating that nuanced space with like where I'm from um, and I think that it also has made me like reject easy conclusions, like reject the idea of being like, I can't be here because I'm queer um, or reject the idea of being like, uh, I should just not feel unsafe. I'm just going to make myself be here and like navigating that in between zone of being like, I love it here. I also want it to be a better place. <laughs> yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. And um, I am aware that you now work back in the place you grew up that might have felt hostile to you as a queer person growing up, but you were working at L the LGBT community center in that hometown, which I think is amazing. Um, and I wonder, first of all, like what kinds of changes you've seen in your life in that place and what, um, you know, how long has the community center been there and what, what it means to now navigate your, your sense of identity back in, a, in that, that place that, maybe didn't feel safe before and you say you don't you're not forcing yourself to feel unsafe so how has that yeah yeah found that yeah so I would say like where I live is like a very interesting nuanced 
best place because like, so I live in a city, Allentown, and I grew up like outside of it. And it's all, all very close, but like community to community, like the vibe is totally different. So like living in Allentown, Allentown is honestly really nice. Like it's a wonderful city um, and there's a lot of diversity and people are very like kind and accepting. You like get outside of the city at all. And it is like, okay, like this is less safe. <laughs> um, what's interesting is I think we often talk about like social change as like always getting better. And what I've really seen is just like the waves and like ways sometimes it just like changes. So like growing up, like there was like no queer visibility really at all. Like I did not know of any, I, I mean, there wasn't an LGBT center. The center is about six years old. Um, so it, it's still a fairly recent occurrence. I didn't really know much about LGBTQ people. I didn't know trans people existed, all that kind of stuff. So there's definitely like an increased visibility. What comes with that though, is I think an increased backlash. I would say like in the city of Allentown, things are like pretty good. Um, but like I said, you get outside of it and there is a lot of like challenges to LGBT books being in schools. There's a lot of um, attempts to create anti-trans or anti-LGBTQ policies in schools. Um, and I try to speak up against them at all times I can. Um, I think what's interesting too, being an author is that like, I have a lot of author friends who get invited to schools all the time um, and educate because I'm scared that our school board will get mad at me or something like that. Um, so it's a mixed environment. I would say the vast majority of people are supportive. I think that there is like a a vocal, very um, like harmful minority of folks who don't want to see anyone of any diverse intersection like um, thrive in any kind of way or like find our existence like scary or something like that. So I definitely think that that persists. But I do think that especially like now as an adult, I can see a really beautiful community of folks who want to come together to make more inclusive spaces and celebrate art and everything, you know, stuff like that too. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm, I'm glad you're centered on that vision because as you said, there's a kind of uh, wave waves the world lives in and we've lit. And if we are a student of history, we can see that in social moments. hundred percent. Um, but, um, but, and then when you're at the bottom of one, it's really hard to, remember but it's important to keep that um that that perspective in mind yeah. um, we're gonna take a short break and um I'll, I'll remind listeners you're you're listening to ksqd in santa cruz on 89.5 89.7 and 90.7 fm i'm farnaz fatimi i am talking with robin gao about their book lanternfly august and we will be back after just a short break listening to the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD in Santa Cruz at 89.5, 89.7, and 90.7 FM, and online at ksqd.org. Welcome back. This is Farnas Fatimi, and I am your host talking to Robin Gao about their most recent book of poetry out just this October from Driftwood Press, and that is Lanternfly August. We've been listening to some poems and talking about this work. Um, 
as I noted at the top of the hour, you've written many collections. This isn't your first book of poetry. And I, and I wonder um, if you have any thoughts about writing this collection and with its particular kind of focus compared to the others that you've written. I think the ways it's different is really that like hyper focus on like a singular subject of the lanternfly. I do tend to approach subjects like via research. Like that's usually like my into a subject matter, like my other book, um, Our Lady of Perpetual Degeneracy, was really a lot of research on like saints um, and mm-hmm. saint stories. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just like a huge <laughs> plethora of, of stuff to draw on. Um, and this was a lot more narrow. And I think that that narrowness of really just looking at the lanternfly helped me pry open all of the, the nuances of the subject matter a little bit more intricately. Um, because if there's, uh, maybe like a, a less, less material to work with, I think that it, it pushed me to, in the same way, like a poetry form pushes you to like consider new angles of language. I think that, uh, a very specific subject can push you to like tear apart every possible aspect of it. And I think that that was really generative for me. Um, and I really like forced myself. I was like, I'm going to keep writing about lantern flies until I literally physically cannot think of anything else to say. Um, and there are some poems that didn't end up in the book, but the majority of them did. Um, and I, I think that that was a really interesting process. Yeah. So how long in terms of time was that, that you kept going? Do you remember? Probably, probably like three months. I tend to draft something like pretty quickly um, because I write a poem every day. So like, I, I tend to draft pretty quickly. And then like my revision process takes like maybe a year. So like the, the drafting itself pretty quick. And then like, I go back and I rework and I mm-hmm. cut stuff apart and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, there is a, it's a, a, a rich lace layered, uh, approach to the, to the lantern fly among other things. Um, Let's hear two more. To me, they seem they seem related to each other. Um, they bring up some similar issues, and I thought it would be nice to hear them back to back, even though both deserve you know a lot of time and space. So that is the two poems: recognizing and reporting spotted lanternfly, um, and then cycle. Awesome. I'll start with recognizing and reporting spotted lanternfly. This summer, trees fell like rotted teeth on the creek's bank. Wood, soft and rotted, mashed, I touched the jagged stubs. On the trail, lanternflies mourned with me, flickered from bench to algae pool, naked creek filling with sunlight. The lanternflies continued to eat, sapping the trees, a tiny sugar drop of soul at a time, In their red hearts, the minds of trees spinning with swamp and insect song, the lives of the trees turned fragment, lanternflies telling tree stories, wishing they were trees, yearning to root themselves in the wet earth, live with fingers in the moon, a lanternfly jumping on my thigh and telling me, will you give me back to where I came from? I wave him away and want to tell him that this water is where we both came from, the smoothed rocks of our hearts, Tree limbs caught in the creek's twists. Fish gathering beneath the shade of dead leaves. Upstream, a man fishing for trout, shirtless, tackle box at his feet. 
I picture a fishing line that tethers the trees, helps them remain standing and not buckle beneath their withering. What can be done about our most coercive hungers? I ask the lanternflies if they have ever tried eating each other. They do not answer. Maybe I am not alone in trying to consume the self. The water moves on, but also remains unchanged. Always pulse. The algae swims like boyfriend hair. I caress each tree's broken root before leaving. Lanternflies scatter, part like an ocean as I go. Then that was recognizing and reporting spotted lanternfly from Lanternfly August. And actually, I just changed my mind. I want to actually talk about this poem a little bit before we hear the next one. Um, and, you know, the the title has this lexicon of criminality in it, the recognizing and reporting spotted lanternfly. And it, it has that that feeling of the being on watch, um, turning some somebody or something in. Um, yeah, but then much of the language is is so um, empathetic. There's a an identification with the lantern fly, especially in that that this water is where we both came from. This identification of we are from the source, um, and there's nothing different about the lantern fly from me, the speaker. Um, and so, but I but I think there's a there's a there's a sense that the lantern flies are killing the trees. That's how I read it. Um, and the trees yeah. bro broken roots are at the end. So I guess I, I'm curious about your 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 thinking about that and how, what you were what you were pondering when you wrote this poem. Well, one of the things that always drew me to lanternflies, like as a subject matter, is like these signs that are everywhere. They're like recognizing reported spotter lanternfly step on spotter lanternflies and there are like signs on most trails in the area that say stuff like that wow um and there's such instances of like very like formal or like punitive language um and i think one of the reasons i also like felt drawn to lanternflies initially is because it really parallels like some of the ways like um bigoted people might talk about anyone who they don't think belongs in a community um it it really rang true like thinking about the ways folks talked about LGBTQ people like being in a space. And I, I think that that really was like the heart of my connection through like lanternflies in a lot of ways and the ways that like formal state viol like um, language kind of echoed like a like a violence. Um, and at the same time, like, you know, lanternflies are different than people a lot <laughs> in, in, you know, where they're positioned and everything going on. But there was that connection there. And so I think that my impulse was to like respond with gentleness, like what would it mean to like recognize lanternflies in a way that's not what is meant is in, like a, an intentional like perversion of the intention of that phrase instead of like recognizing in a like I've identified you so that I can destroy you more like uh, recognizing like a self-recognition, like a recognition of myself in the lanternfly. Great. Thank you. And that's exactly the connection I was making to the next poem, um, Cycle, um, and that that living with a, an identity. Um, so if we could hear Cycle. Totally. Cycle. When my daughters arrive with jeweled feet, red wings, hunger for their old bodies, we will hold a silent dinner. For previous years, maybe I am just my mother's relearned gender. Maybe I am just a skeleton my father is making to survive. The word belonging is made of cement, metal beamed, built before the war. 
is sublimated into a cloud, is ready for a change of scenery, doesn't trust the process of acclimation. Has your neighbor ever been a limb? Mine are spools of thread I step over and around. I am not a prepared animal. I am not a precise animal. Some people are comforted by cycles, but the lanternfly reminds me we often have no control over springtime, are woken like bowls of paper by a gust of air, want nothing more than to be in a make-believe world where our skin feels real. Oh. I love that ending. <laughs> uh, do you... Do you want to talk about the ending at all? Hi. <laughs> yeah. It might speak for itself, but <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because I, whenever I reread a poem, I, I think I like also learn new things about what was I trying to do, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that there's there's a lot about like difficult connections with like femininity in this poem in that like... Um, I think, well, first there's like the connection of like thinking of lanternflies like daughters. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think that whenever I'm talking about like the concept of a daughter, I'm also usually talking about like the concept of myself when I was a daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that like uh, that idea, like we don't always have control over the ways that we've been forced to be embodied, I think is like at the center question and I think that the cycles refer to cycles of change and also cycles of violence that people experience especially people who are assigned female at birth um just that specific kind of violence I mean people at all different experiences experience all different kinds of violence but like I think that there is a interesting connection that I have like as someone who doesn't identify as a woman but also like has experienced a lot of the upbringing that was difficult and then also recognizing some of the beautiful beauties of girlhood and doing that through the lens of the lantern fly. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's kind of what I'm exploring through the, the poem. Um, and I think that the, the slashes I use as like pauses or breaths in each of these, these moments that feel very like kind of like breaths and then also like stitches to sew those like moments together. Yeah. The, the listeners can't see that. What, but you read it, you read it, the, your breaths were at the slashes, they weren't at the line breaks. And so this is a poem that has line breaks, but it also has slashes in the middle of the lines. Um, and it's a poem that, of course, would warrant a, a second and third reading, both to listen to and to read on the page. But um, that's the, the the downside of the radio the, the or audio the pluses we get to hear you read it and that's just really great um but yeah i really i i noticed the word the section the word belonging the word belonging is made of cement um is sublimated into a cloud is read for a change of scenery doesn't trust the process of acclimation um and it brings up that that question of belonging this is later in the book but belonging is all the way through the book um it's it stitches together much of the questions of what where why the lanternfly is where it is and what's it what it's doing there um but but also this um reminder that we don't have control over springtime and you said as you, you said we don't have control over what gets ha um i don't remember how you said it but how we get embodied 
Um, yeah, and like how people read our bodies. Uh-huh. Um, so I, again, there's that, that the question of belonging is, is, uh, is raised by that, by how people read our bodies. Um, and I, I, this poem, I, you know, this is one of my favorite poems in the whole book. So thank you for reading it. Um, I, I want to ask you about contradictions a little bit. Um, you said in a, in another interview that poems are such a generative outlet for contradictions. Um, and why, why is it important for you to have that outlet? I think that, um, I think that when we like approach things in more nuanced ways or like hold space for contradictions, we end up with like more, more nuanced conversations around very difficult topics, like specifically like gender or sexuality. Um, and I think that we can come to a place where more people can find like our connections to issues or things like that. I know I'm being very vague. No, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of like a really clear example. It, it's, I think that sometimes when nuanced is collapsed, people get left out or like perspectives get left out or where kind of subsumed into a very narrow narrative. Um, I think like as an LGBTQ person, I've moved through a lot of like my own understandings of my identity and I've come to a place that's very like, I'm genderqueer, it's very fluid. I, I'm not very, um, I often struggle with identification labels and I think that they're helpful for people to understand themselves. And at the same time, sometimes um, still feel like being put into boxes and really like what I dream of is a world where people are permitted to be themselves without necessarily needing to like explain that difference or explain that nuanced explore experience of gender or sexuality. Um, and I think for me, then that also means holding space for a lot of these contradictions of like, people have so many nuanced experiences, so many other intersecting identities that influence the ways we move about and experience the world. And particularly for myself, like, in social justice kind of spaces, I think it's important to hold contradicting opinions because people can, multiple people of multiple perspectives can be sharing something that's like valuable and also contradicting each other. And when we space, hold space for those contradictions, we find pathways forward that are more nuanced or not leaving people out. Cause I think that that's the thing I come back to is to not leaving people out um, to a degree. Cause like, I don't mean like accepting people who don't think that I deserve to be a person, but I mean like <laughs> people who have two different opinions on an answer to like a housing crisis, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so like there's different kinds of contradictions that that's a, a valid contradiction of like the answer to a complex social issue is going to be complex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, and we're living in a world that's well, a, a, a sort of public media climate that wants just to, you know, yes or no wants binary and um to, yes and sort of definitely squeezes out other uh, opportunities and to to sort of demand or insist on places that allow more is i think your examples were clear they were not not vague at all i mean I, and i because i thought of social justice issues sort of immediately um but also just conversations about the geopolitical climate right now yeah definitely um and the environment, um, which those are issues that you bring up inside the book as well. Um, so let's hear another poem. Um, how about Lanternfly Futurity? Awesome. This might be my favorite poem in the book. <laughs> Good. Lanternfly Futurity. 
Tomorrow we will all be born again in a bowl of sugar. Will I still be beautiful without my hunger? When I say future, I do not mean tomorrow. I mean a time without us. What does it mean to ask the future how to spend this evening? I keep thinking the lanternflies are dead for the year, but then I will see another one. I will approach him and tell him I do not believe in species anymore. He will nod in agreement. Movie night for lanternflies. We watch The Matrix and I tell them it is a transgender allegory. They will agree. All lanternflies are transgender, not because they ask to be or because they arrive, but because or because they arrive without warning, but because they eat the town, because when they eat, the town is fearful. Their joy is sudden and unconsidered. They did not arrive with a craving for alteration. They came to forget the future. I used to think my God was the future, the space where I will no longer be imagined. Now I know my God is the lanternflies, their endlessness. To be a lanternfly is to forget the future while somehow living inside it. When I say all lanternflies are transgender, I mean they are here and gone and glorious. Thank you. I, I'm glad you you said that about it being your favorite. Um, you know, sometimes poets won't commit to having a favorite um, inside a collection or or uh, uh, or otherwise. Um, very curious. Why is it your favorite? I think it's because it's the space that I'm most clear about the connection between being trans and being a lanternfly. Um, and I think I talk most directly in this poem about that, like trans allegory um and I, I also think it's a little playful at, at points which i um i appreciate i appreciate the space to have a little bit of levity make a joke about the matrix kind yes. of um and and make that clear allegory um mm -hmm. and then also like a moment to like celebrate um like beautiful things about being trans despite the like struggles because i think sometimes it, mm -hmm. it's difficult because when often when people ask me to talk about being trans they'll ask questions that are more towards like what are the most painful moments of your life and I I like to be able to share like like that that glorious and beautiful and, and those kinds of sentiments yes and living inside to forget the future while somehow living inside it is such a celebratory line yeah um so you have uh you have a whole other life and trajectory as a writer of young adult books um one of them is in verse but and three in prose i think and that fourth the fourth one i'm referring to is coming out still right it's on its way out um so i'm curious about that and i say whole other life obviously i'm sure it's in, an integrated life but it's in and maybe in parallel with the poetry i'm curious how poetry fits into that world um what relationship it has to the writing that you do as yeah. those books. I still think I definitely approach books through poetry and the, the novels are actually all in verse except for one that's coming out in the spring. So they're all novels in verse. Oh, okay. Um, Sorry, I didn't get that. No, you're good. Um, I, I think that for me, a lot of my subject matter is very similar, but like approaching it through a different lens which is interesting, like my my first young adult novel, A Million Quiet Revolutions, is set in Kutztown, um, the same place where Lanternfly August is set. And it explores a lot of similar questions, but through a different genre and a different voice. It's about two trans teenage boys who fall in love and are like exploring their connections with the town and themselves and history. 
And so I do find myself often like I will approach it's it's like approaching the same question with a different like set of tools. I think the market like the clearest difference for me is that um I usually try to let my my fiction or writing for, for young people always lean towards hope. And I think that like my poetry does too, but it's more intentional for youth because I want I, I just had so few access to any stories that were like positive or uplifting <laughs> about queer mm -hmm. folks that I really mm -hmm. want my writing for youth to be like helping them develop toolboxes for approaching their lives um, and really trusting them with complex issues. And um, it, it's a different, it's a different urge and impulse to write with youth than it is to write poetry. Like my adult poetry does feel a little bit more um, not like entirely about myself, but it's more like self-exploratory where the writing for youth, it, it, I'm really actively cognizant of the reader in a way I'm not in the same way for adults. Not that I don't care about readers for adults, but it's it just feels like a, a weight when you're trying to write for youth because it's so important. And again, not that writing for adults isn't, but like that space is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, thank you. I, and I, I'm really curious about writing, um, in verse and, and how that, um, whether you have to be, be conscious of that when you're moving from that to writing poetry every day. Um, and, um, yeah, it seems like quite the feat. When did you start doing that consciously or did it just start coming out? Um, so I took a class in grad school that was about young adult literature. And I didn't even want to take the class. I like <laughs> had to pick an elective and there were no other electives that were available. Um, and I kind of fought it because I had a very like negative perception of like writing for youth. Um, I don't know why. I think I was being snooty. Um, <laughs> but uh -huh. I, I learned so much in that class. And one of the first books we read was a novel in verse called The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. And it's just an amazing book. And it really like it did so much with poetry is about like a young slam poet um and i i think that it, it it i think i immediately recognized that it was a book that i wish i had as a teenager and mm. that like made me feel very connected and be like wow i like want to do something similar to that and i really learned through just like reading novels and verse and it's very i would it's pretty difficult like especially as someone who's like more trained just toward writing poetry um because i tend to get like lost in the like very like emotional or interior lives of the characters and uh I do struggle with plot like in general and I'm lucky to have had like friends and readers to kind of like help me develop those arcs because my, for me the emotional arc is always like and it still is like a central part of the story but I've had friends who've helped me develop like okay, like things need to happen more than just like people's emotional stories. Um, So when I draft though, I usually write like just like an emotional journey of a character and then they build out the world around them through poems and I would say it does feel kind of difficult um mm -hmm. but I really enjoyed it and, and now it's like definitely something I've turned to um on a pretty frequent basis and you've been successful I mean the it sounds like the I, I know um I'm sorry I don't have the title in front of me one million what's the name a million of the quiet revolutions a million quiet revolutions it's um a widely released from mcmillan for fsg through mcmillan and um and again you have another one coming out um so obviously you're doing something right in that 
field. I encourage people to look up those books um, from Robin Gao. And one reminder, you're you're listening to the Hive Poetry Collective, and I'm Farnaz Fatemi with Robin here at K-Squid 89.5, 89.7, and 90.7 FM. Um, we're going to hear one more poem, but before that, I want to ask you one more question. Um, we, you've alluded to the fact that you write poetry every day. Um, if people look at uh, your website, they'll find that you have a poetry blog and you share those poems um, every day. Um, I want to ask you, how long have you done that? Um, and what does this practice do for you? Um, and you share the first draft. Is that what you put out onto the blog? Yeah. Yeah, I've done it since 2017. So I don't know how long that is. That's, I guess, about like six years now. That's pretty long. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm like, at this point, I'm like obsessed with maintaining my like WordPress streak. So every day that you post, it'll tell you like you have a 2000 something streak. And I'm like, yes, it's I have to maintain it. Um, <laughs> that's not why I keep doing it. But it, it's just funny. It's been <laughs> that long. Um, I think we started it because I was struggling with drafting. And I think that knowing that I have a poem that I'm going to make every day, it takes some of the like weight of writing a poem off of it because I used to be so much like this has to be perfect. But like if I shifted my mindset towards like, well, there'll always be another one. So like if this one doesn't come out, like there'll be one tomorrow. And I think that that practice was like really like alleviating for me. Um, and yeah, I just post the drafts and they're very rough. Um, but I, I like to do it because it keeps me accountable that it's posted somewhere. And also like to be a little bit like spiritual about it, like poetry is like very related to like myself as a witch. Um, and I think that having that daily practice of like thinking about the world in, in an analytic way. And I, I wake up at like five to do it. So like it's a, it's a early morning <laughs> before I start the day, I always write a poem. I think it like makes me feel like I have like a rooting in the day um, to have that. And I also like it, it, it sews into my day too, because I take notes every day. I have like little note cards and I just like write down random stuff. I'm like, oh, that's a jungle gym. And I'm curious about that word and just like writing those things down. And then in the morning, I like look at the notes and I just pick whatever note is next. And I literally like force myself to write whatever is next. I don't like let myself choose. And oh. I think that that also like forcing that structure, like actually helps me like write something that I might not have before. Can you say more about that? You must write several notes per day. So how do you, you, how do you, do you do a lot of them just get let go and you don't use them or do you go back? No, I just have piles of notepads. <laughs> <laughs> I have probably enough notepads for like, I don't know, a few years of poems. I'm not even <laughs> kidding. Um, so I just always make myself do whatever is like next on the list, like whatever is next. And what's interesting is I'm writing poems now from notes I might've taken a year ago. And I think that that distance is really interesting because sometimes I'll be like, what did I mean by this? And that question can be mean it changes to something else. And it's kind of interesting. It is honestly like almost like having someone else write you prompts if you're reading something from a year ago. Because I'm like, I have no clue what this person was thinking. Right. Who is this person? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely. And then is there um, just other things that that happen in that that sort of morning time that you do besides poetry? You, you mentioned your witchery. Um, what else? Yeah. So I do a little bit of like altar work, too. I usually do something like a water blessing and I pull a tarot card every morning um, and do some kind of like smoke cleansing ritual. 
Um, yeah, and I've done that pretty consistently for, I would say, like, maybe, like, six years now, too. Um, and my practice has shifted over time, but that's that's definitely, like, I do, like, altar work, and then I move to poetry, and that's kind of my morning flow. And then I walk for, like, I take a walk that's, like, an hour long, because um, that's also, like, a clearing my head space. That's so inspiring. I, to, as someone who aims for more regular, like routine or ritual, that's your, your, you have a, you, so you, you probably have more than 2000, I get, I would think, or like maybe, yeah, I guess that you were right about that number. And that's a hard thing to stop if you, once you have that. Um, that's what I'm saying is like, I, I even remember like it was the morning before I was having like a surgery and I was like, you have to let me finish this poem. And my friend is like, you're crazy. <laughs> and I was like, no, I am not. This is so important. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Well, it's also really, um, it's good for people to be able to see work in draft um, on, you know, on a blog, just to be that vulnerable and to say, this is how things start. And it's yeah. obviously like, reminds me of Annie Lamott's shitty first drafts, but it's permission to, <laughs> to reveal where we start. Um, so let's hear one last poem. Um, and again, thank you so much for talking with us about this, um, this really rich range of poems in this book, but also the other work that you do and the, um, the life which gives rise to these, this, these poems. Um, and ho I hope continues to. Um, my guest is Robin Gao, and their book is Lanternfly August from Driftwood Press, which just has just come out and is available in our show notes. We will link to both um, their website and um, the book itself um, and some other resources. Um, and again, thank you so much for being here. Um, and if you could leave us with Invasion, which is, um, is if not the last, it is the last poem in the book, correct? Yes. Yes, it is. And, um, and thank I you like, so much for having me. This is really wonderful. It's been a true pleasure. All right. So Invasion. I arrived for the second time like a pineapple, lowered my toys into the front lawn for them to become mammals. When did you first learn you were an insect? I was floating in a mirror as a boy. I saw the hands of girls like bassinets falling around me. I had no skeleton at all. They will call your love a capture, invent reasons why your species doesn't belong here, design cities to house your lust, but tell you the mountain is heterosexual. My mountains are all in the shapes of women laying with women. They are full of lantern flies. I want them to stay. I want these insects to drink the trees to dust and then come for me. My sugar water blood, their shadows printed and down, up and down my legs. I refuse to stop being from here, my small town where the sun becomes a street lamp. I am here in a flock of lanternflies, though. You may try to rid your torsos of me. Thank you so much, Robin. This is the Hive Poetry Collective. I am Farnas Fatimi, and you're listening to KSQD 90.7 FM on, and online at ksqd.org.